0: It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you're asking
1: the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us on this another great edition. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here, Matt. Another great edition. Of smart money questions. We haven't even recorded the podcast, and I'm already calling it a great addition. <laughs> That's uh, right. We have to deliver now, which I think we will, because this is going to be one of those podcasts where we dive into what's happening in the news, go over some recent headlines, get Matt's opinions on kind of what's moving and shaking out there. But if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you here with us. Uh, let me introduce you to Matt. My name is Walter Storholt. I'm just driving the bus here, but Matt's the founder of Old Security Group and the person we turn to with our questions and the guy we ask for guidance each week here on the program. He's got an office in Westchester, PA and in Newark, Delaware as well, but serves clients all across the country. And you can find us online by going to smartmoneyquestions.com. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. And Matt, great to talk to you once again. How's life been treating you?
0: Absolutely living the dream. (laughs)
1: Living the dream. that positive, right? Not just a simple, (laughs) oh, things are going well, or I'm good. Thank you. Just living the dream. That's great
0: you know it's in that fall season right which for me is probably my second favorite time living up in the northeast now when it gets cold i'm really looking forward to that break in the weather like in april or may Uh but then i'm always happy when we come into fall because many times in fact it was this year i remember talking to my mom and a real good buddy of mine they still live down in sarasota and they're like, oh, the high today is going to be 89. <laughs> the low is 77. You know, And I'm like, oh, it's going to be awesome today. It's going to be a high of like 64. And on this recording, on the day we're doing this, I got a text from that same buddy. He took a picture of his dashboard on his car. And all he said was, finally. And I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? And then I looked and I zeroed in on the temperature gauge next to his mile per hour odometer. And it said 60 degrees.
1: Oh, gosh. So he finally <laughs> hit the 60 mark.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like, the high is only going to be 77.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask if, you know, you've got that Florida blood, if it's been, you know, kind of worked out of you now. Or are you a hardened northerner in the true winter time when that eastern Pennsylvania wind starts blowing through, you know, in December and January? Are you still like, ooh, that your thin Florida blood kind of pops up again? And you're like, I'm ready for this winter to be over with.
0: Well, I would say that I'm more used to it, but I'm never a fan of the wind. Okay, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's cold out. If there's no wind, it's much more tolerable for me, but, you know, and sometimes the wind can be very biting, you know, but I'm, I will say that I'm looking forward to, you know, by late December, mid-January, I'm looking forward to March. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You've, you've, you've or got what it I circled. try and do as I did
0: this year <laughs> is I'm going to Florida for the
1: holidays. There you go. Oh, that's a good idea.
0: I usually try and get down there Thanksgiving or Christmas to New Year's as a way to break up, you know, the monotony of the cold weather up here. And I'll never forget this. This is like three years ago we did that, Christmas time. And we flew back on a Friday night, late December, it's right before like New Year's and stuff. And we flew in. It's like one o'clock in the morning on a Friday. And this place where I had parked the car, they will drive it over to you. So I just come out, I get my bags at a baggage claim with the family. We walk outside, boom, you know, the car should be there within a couple minutes. Well, long story short, we got in and just like what you said, the wind was howling. I think it was like thirty four degrees with a wind chill of twenty eight. And they said that they had got the car and they were on their way, but they mistook my car for someone else's. Ooh. And so we stood out there, or I should say I stood out there because the family finally went inside for about 25 minutes, freezing my butt off, waiting for the car to finally show up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: I think the coldest I've ever been was because of the wind, for sure. And it was, remember the, you know, how they have the hockey games every year that they play outside? Yes. uh, What do they call it? The stadium series? So it Mm -hmm. was the Devils and Rangers. And we flew up from North Carolina. So I'm a big New Jersey Devils fan. And if this is the first time that's ever been mentioned on the podcast, that's incredible all in and of itself. But anyway, big, big New Jersey Devils fan. So we flew up. And, oh, little side story. We actually won tickets to this game but we got disqualified because we didn't live in the state of New Jersey, which was highly disappointing to get the call of like, hey, you've won these tickets. Can I verify your address? And not even thinking that that was going to exclude us, they were like, oh, sorry, only New Jersey residents can win this. We we're like, no. <laughs> we, we ended up buying our own tickets, Matt. And I kid you not, on the day of the game, they were selling them for $9 because it was so cold. People didn't want to mm. go, and they were just trying to get rid of their tickets. We could have bought them for $9 on the day of instead of, I don't know, $200 a ticket or something like that in advance. It was crazy. But anyway, we fly up there. My dad flies up with me. and it, They were playing at the Rangers at Yankee Stadium. It was that game. I want to say it was 19 degrees. And I've been in colder weather, but this was kind of one of those things where you were outside walking around the city all day, and then you're up in the upper deck of the baseball stadium at Yankee Stadium, and the way mm. the wind was just whipping through there. I was covered everywhere, but it really, once it soaked through... Like the jeans and we had like long johns and then jeans, but still once it got soaked through there, they're like tops of my legs were the coldest they've ever been. And once it's in you, you can't get it out. You know what I mean? Like once you're that yes. cold, there's nothing you can do to save it. We were freezing even in the bright sunshine. We were as cold as you could imagine that was maybe the most raw cold I've ever felt. And it was totally because of the wind. Cause I've been in Maine when it's been negative 13 degrees and yeah, it's cold, but if it's not too windy, then it's, you know, you can bear it for a few minutes at least, but.
0: Right. But you're right. Like you got to have a hot shower to get rid of that cold.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Or the New York City bus that we jumped on to head back to the airport, we ended up being right underneath the heater and it blasted us so hot to where we were down to just like a T-shirt by the end of the bus. ride. (laughs) (laughs) That worked as well. So New York City bus under the heater or yeah, a shower. Either one works pretty well. Well, we better stop taking these trips down memory lane or we'll never get to today's content on the uh, podcast, which is taking a look at some of these in the news headlines. And I have no good segue for the very first one. So we'll just jump right in. But I thought this was interesting. Now this happened, you know, several weeks ago, but we're just now getting around to talking about it on the podcast. But I think it'll take us, you know, beyond just the headline that it, you know, kind of made that day when it happened. This is when Seattle a couple of weeks ago implemented that soda tax. They actually did it at the beginning of the the year, but then they kind of released another story and they were talking about, all right, so how's it going so far, right? Well, it's brought in $10 million in revenue as of last check, pretty significant portion of money. So I'm curious, Matt, you know, what's your opinion of taxes like this that are designed to kind of change people's buying habits? I always find it interesting to see what someone like a financial advisor would think about kind of what's happening on these larger scale issues.
0: Well, yeah, no kidding. I think that is a larger scale issue. I'm, I will say I'm never a fan of any type of extra tax first, right? I usually kind of shy away, but this subject in particular, when we think about the other quote, sin taxes we have, so alcohol and tobacco mm-hmm. and how much tax is on that or on those particular products How much has it really deterred people's buying of those? In this case, is it really going to change someone's buying habit of buying soda because of this extra tax? And when you go down the secondary part of it, which is if we're trying to curb some behavioral buying which is really what they're doing here or what they're hoping to do. And if I remember right, I don't know if they ever put it into law, but didn't Bloomberg, when he was the mayor of New York City, he wanted to implement where the largest soda you could buy was
1: like 24 ounces. Right. Not just a tax, but like you couldn't even serve it, right? Wasn't that the thing? Correct.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if that ever went through. But this idea, when we really think about what they're trying to do, whether it's soda, or whether it's cigarettes, which we know are harmful, or whether it's alcohol, which we know is harmful, is when we think about, like in this case, soda, just with diabetes in general. I looked this up, and the diabetes cost per year by the American Diabetes Association right now is estimated to be $327 billion a year. If we're just going to talk finances, that is an amazing number. Mm. But if we think about, you know, whenever we hear America or the United States of America, we think of quote freedom, which would be freedom of my right to choose what it is that I want to put in my body. Should I really be subject to a tax for that? And so I think either side of the aisle can really, you could dive into multiple areas of debate for or against it. Right now, as I said at the beginning, I've never really been a fan of, of a tax, but if we look at so one of the things that I would question the mayor of Seattle with is okay if you put this into place, where's that ten million in expected revenue going to go?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, is it just going to go to some other pet project that you got, or is it really going to go for what it in this case, you know, people that are suffering with diabetes there in the Seattle city limits? And I think that's where again. This is my opinion. I'll say that for compliance purposes, (laughs) is have we ever really seen government utilize monies in an efficient way? Mm -hmm. But I think I can understand what they're doing here and why they're doing it. But is it really going to change behavior? And that's the question. If we go back to the original syntaxes with tobacco and alcohol, have they really changed the buying or the behavioral buying of those particular products. I mean, think about this. I think we talked about this a while ago, but, you know, we all know George Clooney, or most of us know who George Clooney is, the movie star. And this last year, he sold a brand of tequila that him and Cindy Crawford's husband were partnership in for an estimated $1 billion. Is he worried about the syntax? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Only slightly. (laughs) I mean, so to go in
0: the news, you know, how do I feel about that? I don't know that it's really going to change. Like, I'm not a soda drinker, so it's not going to affect me. But I have other friends that are big soda drinkers and use tobacco and, you know, have cocktails. And the taxation on those isn't going to deter them from... Buying it, so I think it's another tax grab where the intention is good, but is it really going to change? And then, what's that money going to be used for?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the lottery when it kind of gets introduced into new states. There's always that kind of same debate that happens everywhere of, you know, the education lottery, right? Oh, it's going to be used for education, and it always seems like such a bizarre thing to link gambling with, you know, the education yeah. of, of minors. Like, <laughs> it's always such a yeah. odd juxtaposition of those two things, but. Yeah, it's interesting debate, that's for sure. By the way, an update on your New York rule, as Wikipedia will tell us. It looks like that was, a court of appeals said that that was an overreach in terms of regulatory okay. authority, and so they did repeal that regulation back in 2014. So, you can... And
0: here's, here's something on the flip side, so let me just, I, I hate to interrupt you there. No, go for it. In the state of PA, I'll never forget when we moved, or actually the first time I was here, so Maggie's from here, this goes back a long time ago, and... I made the comment, well, let's just pick up a six pack on the way to your mom's. And she goes, oh, well, the only place that we can get that is if we go buy a package store at a bar. And I looked at her like, what? Now I grew up in Florida where, heck, you can walk into a 7-Eleven and get singles if you want. (laughs) But in the state of PA, you have to go to a beer distributor and the only thing you're buying is a case. You can only buy a case or... You go to one of these packaging stores that have a special license attached to a bar, and then you can buy a six-pack. And usually, you're going to pay an exorbitant amount of money when you go there. Now, the rules are starting to lighten up a little, but the state of PA controls the entire liquor and beer industry and selling and distribution in the state of PA, which I remember talking to a state representative, like how in the world can the state be in the alcohol business? Like literally we have to go to a wine and spirit store that is controlled by the PA liquor board
1: hmm.
0: and beer distributor. Or now they're starting to open it up a little bit where you can buy I think six and 12 packs in certain grocery stores and stuff, but there's a limit and you have to go to a special register. And like, it's just kind of interesting when we think about the intrusion of where government is and going back to this, what's the real purpose of the soda tax? What's the real purpose of making me buy a case of beer instead of a single or a 12 pack or a six pack? I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to spend the money, you know? Most people I talk to, they're just like, well, hopefully they got good pricing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, your conversation about purpose, though, is important. I mean, it's kind of like down here in North Carolina. You know, I'm not a big drinker, but every once in a while I'll go, you know, pick up a six-pack and it'll probably sit in the fridge for, you know, two or three months before I finally get around to, you know, going through all six of them or something like that. But... It's pretty funny because I'll forget and then I might go to the grocery store early on a Sunday morning or something like that. And we'll always get up to the register and totally forget that you can't buy alcohol in North Carolina on Sunday morning. And it's so funny because, you know, they take the beer and they go and they put it on the, you know, front counter or something like that, the customer service desk. And you look over there and there's like 25 six-packs just sitting on the counter (laughs) that people have forgotten you can't buy in North Carolina on a Sunday morning until – and it's until 1 o'clock. So even if you got out of service, you know, I went to the early service, you know, it's like I still went to church today. and. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picking some up on the way home and you can't do it. So it's pretty funny. It's like, wait, what is our purpose of this? And that's not a tax, but, you know, what's the purpose of this rule or regulation? And I think it kind of goes along that same line of, you know, why do we do what we do when it comes to government and taxes and these conversations? So they're pretty interesting, that's for sure.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't know that that actually had went in. And I wonder if other, you know, cities, counties, states look to implement something like
1: that. Yeah with the size of the drink and, and that kind of stuff
0: if I remember right they were talking about doing that in Philly a couple of years back and it really met a lot of resistance
1: yeah I imagine it would you know because then we need to have a conversation about how much ice you're putting in my drink you know that's yeah. a story for another podcast right there but yeah
0: because <laughs> I like a lot of ice I'll tell you that
1: <laughs> you like a lot of ice but now you're getting less product for the same price so, yeah you know. well hopefully it's
0: you know, unlimited refills
1: well that's the big conversation right who's giving me refills and who isn't so fun stuff. All right, another headline was interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to your response on this one. I think this will be this will be fun. Have you heard of the fire movement? This is F I R E, just as it sounds. The fire movement. It's been gaining popularity in the oh, of course, the millennial generation. And I'm millennial, so I guess I can say that. Fire stands for financial independent retire early, which is just kind of a weird sentence, financial independent, retire early. Thousands of millennials apparently are trying to figure out how to retire in their 30s. And uh, I actually now know someone who is in this group. I was at a function not too long ago and these folks, I'm really fun at a party, right? I call it a function. Um <laughs> and I'm chatting with them and she's going, "Um yeah, well, we're looking to retire next year and then my husband, you know, he's going to try and retire the year after that or at least go down to part time." And my jaws on the floor. I'm like, "What? What are you going to do with yourself?" Anyway, we can get more into that later. But is that even possible? Like, I see people—you're meeting with them all the time. They're struggling to get to sixty-two or sixty-five and retire. How are millennials trying to retire in their thirties? And what do you think about a goal like that? I think it's awesome. Okay. Oh, I well, took it in a different direction. I thought you would. All right, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Well, and their idea of retirement could be different than someone that's sixty-five and looking to retire. That's one thing that I found when I was at the FinCon convention last October. And so that was, it's really the financial social media convention of the year and meeting a lot of people that were in their late twenties to early forties that they were striving for this. Some of them were already there. I met one gentleman, he was 29 years old and he said, for the most part, I'm semi-retired. And I said, well, Why don't you describe to me what you think semi-retired is? His semi-retired meant that he was not working, quote, for the man. He was self-employed, and he was choosing his work, and his goal was to never work more than 20 hours a week.
1: Hmm. That's definitely a different definition of retired.
0: Right, and he's like, I live, my office is my laptop. I can go wherever I want to go. So his idea of retirement, along with his wife, was more of the freedom that that type of lifestyle, while still making money, allowed them to have. And I found it intriguing as to other articles and other people that I was meeting there and reading other information on getting to a certain point where your assets are at a certain number. And then many of them, and as a matter of fact, one of the breakout sessions I went to the gentleman was up there, and he was talking about him and his wife and their newborn, and they were retired, and they were living on $40,000 a year. I immediately looked to my buddy who was at the conference with me, and I said, I kind of like the retired part. I have no interest in only living on $40,000 a year.
1: Especially right? not in your stage of life with two kids <laughs> and you know a lot Correct. of other expenses going on.
0: Even if the kids are out of the house, right? Right. Which hopefully they will be soon. But the idea is $40,000. I want to, you know, he proceeded to then talk about all of the sacrifices he was making to be at that $40,000 number. So, for instance, again, 65, and I'm wanting to retire now. Is that your version of retirement? Many of the people I talk to, that's not their version of retirement. Their version of retirement is to go out and enjoy. It might not be just spending money, but it's the bucket list years, right? Yeah. The first five, seven, nine years of retirement, I'm going to go out I'm going to check off that bucket list. And usually, the bucket list costs money. And so I think in this particular case, what they're talking about, what the millennials are doing, is they all have their – like those two individuals that I met that weekend – Their idea of retirement was completely separate. I can tell you the first gentleman I spoke to was very astute, used to be a bond trader for Vanguard, made really, really good money, and what he was doing now was really good money, although he had figured out how to not work for the man, still make good money, only work 20 hours a week, and he was independent in wherever he wanted to be in the world on how he worked. That's a lot different than the second guy. We're living on 40 grand a year.
1: Two totally different definitions under that one umbrella.
0: Yeah, so what I'm really encouraged about this, though, and when we speak about the millennials, and you being a millennial, you've probably heard this, many people can say poor things about the millennial generation.
1: Yeah, we take a lot of shots, that's true.
0: Yep, and I think this is encouraging because it's getting them to, first of all, define their idea of retirement or striving towards a goal and hopefully going through and having the necessary grit to get to the goal, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think from that aspect, it's extremely encouraging to be able to have them see that, recognize it, define it for themselves, and then to go after it.
1: Yeah. I guess that's a different definition of having the grit, right? But it does kind of go in both directions. I would rather, you know, I'm a little bit more of a workaholic and come from a family of, you know, kind of really excellent work ethic, And so I'm like, if I want something, I'm going to go work harder to achieve it, whereas someone else could just go the other way and say, I'm going to sacrifice more so I can achieve it. And I guess neither one is necessarily a bad way to view the situation.
0: And I will say this. So one of the things that both of them talked about for them to be able to achieve that goal, which I also think is awesome, is the idea of the elimination of debt. So if that is part of how they're going to fire, you know, what was it? Financial independent, retire early. Financial independent Mm -hmm. is not having a noose around your neck with debt. Yeah, And so if across the board, that is one of the things they're striving for, then that also is a great thing. But I just think in general, and I think we talked about this last year after I came back from the conference, I was so amazed at where that industry is. And the people that were there, and it wasn't just millennials running around, you know, there were people 15 years older than I am, and many of them were, quote, financial advisors, but they were, quote, in the financial space somewhere within social media and using that new platform. For instance, the first gentleman I spoke to, his platform inside the financial world was teaching kids how to get out of debt, and he had a very defined niche and how he did it and who he marketed to. And he was doing extremely well with that. And quite frankly, providing a great resource and value to the people that were engaging him.
1: Well, I think it's a really interesting conversation, even if you're not a millennial, even if you are a couple of years from retirement and you're kind of analyzing the best way for you to plan for your future. I think it's worthwhile to look at how another generation is thinking about it, viewing it, considering it. Maybe that causes you to kind of reevaluate your own situation. And also, I think this is kind of cool, Matt, is it does show whether you agree with it or not that there is more than one way to skin the cat, right? There is more than one way to view the situation. And although my head almost exploded when this, you know, girl told me she was going to retire next year, and it's like, "What? Haven't you just started your career? How is that even possible?" You know, it's like, "Okay, well, you see the finish line a different way than I do. You see the way to get to the finish line a different way than I do." And I guess that's not a bad thing. That's okay. And it's just kind of it's enlightening and interesting whether you agree with it or see it for yourself or not. So,
0: Yeah, you know, I think about myself, like I can't imagine myself ever being what my initial thought or viewing my grandparents or my parents as retired, meaning they're not doing anything. They're not doing any work activities. Let me say it like that. I just can't ever imagine myself ever getting to
1: that point. Yeah. So so much identity wrapped up in our jobs, right?
0: Correct. But I can see the idea of where technology has allowed us as a firm and an industry go just over the last three to five years. And kind of if we think about the first gentleman I spoke to is having more of a virtual place on where we go and how we're serving clients. And quite frankly, where technology is going, we can serve clients even better. And it doesn't necessarily mean we always have to be face-to-face with all the other aspects of where the technology is taking us. And that's one of the things that I really like in us, like, for instance, doing the podcast. We've been doing it a little over a year and a half and using this type of technology to put this messaging out there that somebody can go and listen to whenever they desire. Like, that's my idea of retirement is not to stop, as you said, the identity of the workplace that I have. It is the idea of freeing up some time or location and still providing the service. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And I think that's, again, a key takeaway. What does retirement look like for you? And just illustrates how different that can be from person to person. And so maybe the biggest takeaway of all, if you dream up your retirement and try and achieve it, don't just feel like you've got to fit into somebody else's idea of retirement. Maybe that's the biggest takeaway of all, which is, again, pretty cool. Totally agree with that. Well, are you in that boat? Are you thinking about what you want your retirement future to look like? Have you not had a conversation with somebody about that before? We always here on the podcast recommend, of course, that you chat with Matt about a situation like that, whether you're near one of the offices in Pennsylvania or Delaware or anywhere across the country. Matt can meet digitally with you. Of course, times are changing. We can meet remotely with folks who are not necessarily face-to-face with us. It's very easy to do, and Matt can walk you through that like he does with many clients all across the country. A couple of different ways to get in touch. 610-719-3003 is the phone number to call to get in touch with the team 610-719-3003 you can send email questions to the show info at smartmoneyquestions.com is the place to do that info at smartmoneyquestions.com we might feature it on a future episode when we open up the mailbag and take some of those smart money questions and as always that website is there for you 24-7 smartmoneyquestions.com all the information you need right there on the site, smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, we are all set for this edition of the podcast. Thanks so much for thinking outside the box with us this week and looking at some of those headlines, and we'll look forward to another conversation with you next time around. Sounds great. That's Matt Hausman. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on the Smart Money Questions podcast.